we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Barris SAGE Institute colleague, Ed Kless. And on today's show, we are doing lessons learned from the workshop that Ed and I conducted uh, last week on the subscription uh, economy and business model. So how's it going, Ed? I am recovering from an extracted wisdom tooth, Ron. Yes, I saw the picture. Yeah, so got a chance to uh, the. Uh, we'll see if we can put this that picture up in the show notes because I think it's pretty funny. My wife it was horrified. Funny. It was uh, pretty funny. I have to admit, I kind of <laughs> chuckled when I saw it. <laughs> and uh, you know, I got, I'm, gonna, I'm getting a chance to 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 practice my for for my Marley's ghost audition in in the fall. <laughs> you know, that, oh, that great. Yeah, there's that great scene in 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 uh, in a in a Christmas Carol where 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 Marley's ghost takes off the jaw wrap and his jaw <laughs> flaps open. Right, right. Uh, kind of what I look like in this this thing, this contraption. Oh, it really, was just a holding ice against my jaw, which was was helpful for a while. But sure. Wow. Well, that'll help with our Christmas show, maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm totally inspired by it. But yeah, you know, pros play hurt, Ron. So here I am. That's true. And look at Tiger, you know, how many back surgeries and things that he go through and he still played and yeah, good yep. stuff. Well, but in all that can you, you had that, that's nothing. You had a, a heck of a week, haven't you? Yeah, I've had a pretty bad week, folks. I just want to take a little bit of time and talk to you, talk me and Ed will chat about um, somebody dear to me that I lost on Monday my older brother by three years, Ken Baker, the age of 59, way too young. Um, he passed away on Monday and it's just, it's just brutal. Ed. It's just something that's not even on your radar. You don't even, you know, you just take so much for granted and boy, does this kind of snap you back to reality. Um, and it's, it's been a tough week. My, when I told my dad, I, didn't even know how to tell him. I said, dad, are you sitting down? And, um, <laughs> he said, yeah, I am. And, and then I told him and he flew out the very next morning at six. I got him a 6am flight. He was here literally within 24 hours. And mm -hmm. I just, I marvel at that. I'm sorry. I still marvel at that that can even happen right from the other side of the country within literally one day. Um, and he's been helping, helping me with go through everything you have to go through with all the arrangements and everything. So, it's been a hectic week, but, um, you know, my brother, um, and I tell people this and unless they've seen him do it or, or, or know him, he was without doubt the best public speaker I've ever seen. I mean, he, he was a dynamic, really good public speaker. Um, like you maybe cause he took, you know, drama and theater, um, so I think that played a part, but he was just fantastic at it. And when I started doing it in 1994, he, um, 
he took a sabbatical from work and he followed me around for a good nine months. And we, wherever I spoke, wherever I did a full day, you know, course for California CPA Education Foundation or whoever or conference talk, he was right there and he'd be in the back and he'd have his notebook with his colored pens lined up taking notes. And then we would go out to dinner and he would just rake me over the coals. I mean, in a good way, in a lessons learned way, kind of like what we're going to do today. You know, it wasn't negative. It was all, you know, this is, this is how you get better. And I remember arguing with them. Yeah, but look at, look at the evaluation scores. You know, they're really high. He goes, do you want high evaluation scores and be popular? Or do you want to be good? <laughs> great point. Yeah, it was a great point. And he really, I, I owe any speaking ability I have to him because he was, he was a master communicator. He took rhetoric. He was on the debate club forensics. It was a big part of his study. I think he minored in it in college. Um, so language and, and persuasion were really important to him and how to get points across. And um, he had a profound impact on me that way. And the fact that he would take, you know, some time off work just to kind of go around and help and help me and coach me. Um, it was really, really special. And I, I'll always remember that. That was su su such key in your career on, cause I, you and I have talked about that a number of occasions. And I, as you know, I also have a, a brother who is, and I don't know, maybe it's just the two of us, but I'd ask our, our listeners to perhaps share some stories with us on Twitter, but th there's something about brothers that from a criticism perspective that you can only take from your brother. Like you couldn't take it from a sister. I don't know that you couldn't take it from, from a parent, but there's, there's just that ability and truthfulness, especially when you grew up with each other relatively close in age. And you and I are the, the same. My, well, my brother is actually the younger brother. So, uh, mm -hmm. so he's in your position, but it's that about that three year separation. Right. And which is, which is not ju just enough to be separate but not far enough to be as of a different generation, you know? Right. Right. And yeah, yeah but there's there, to this day, there's still only things that my, my, my brother can, can tell me. And, um, so it, it's, it's, it's clearly a, a loss for you in, in, in that respect, because I know that as, as you put this, and this is a great line about Ken, he always went for the jugular, not the jocular. Yes. And he was quick witted and man, could he eviscerate you? Cause I saw it happen. <laughs> oh, multiple times he would, he, and he did. He never, he just, he, he never told jokes. You know, if he, if he, no. if he said something funny, it was at somebody's expense, usually me, but he always, it was, it was kind of like Don Rickles. I mean, but it was not just an insult. It was like a deep, you know, deep cut in the jugular that just really, cause there was an element of truth to it. I remember uh, once early when we moved in, we bought a house together and um, we had a pigeon problem, Ed. There were pigeons kind of, you know, stuff, uh, they, they nest in some of the rafters and they're uh -huh. kind of a pain and everybody around here has had to deal with it. You have to board things up and you have to deal with animal control and all this stuff. And you can hear them, right? They're, they're loud as all get out. And yes. I woke up one morning and, you know, we're in the kitchen and I said, Can, you know, you hear those pigeons? And he says, oh, he's a nightmare. And I said, how in the hell do you get rid of pigeons? He said, why don't you go up there and read them your book? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, that's the kind of cut to the, what do you say to that? You know, you just kind of slink away with your tail between your legs and you just don't want to say anything else because it'll just, it'll provoke some other, you know, nasty right. comments. Well, and, and okay, so, so here I'll, I'll lead you in because that's not the best line he had about your book. That, tell the story about... Uh, well, yeah, no, he had... Story. Well, well, he had several lines of all my books. Um, you know, as you know, because you're in this book, Measure What Matters, that book is dedicated to Ken. Mm-hmm. And in the acknowledgments... Um, in fact, I, I wrote to my brother, Ken Baker, for his enduring friendship and making sure I remain humble. But in the acknowledgments, I said, my brother, Ken Baker, to whom this book is dedicated, is another indefatigable supporter of my work. When I told him I was struggling with a title for this book and that all I knew was it would be my shortest one so far, he suggested about time. <laughs> <laughs> But without, <laughs> without doubt, the best story, or well, one of the best lines, and I used to have somewhere at, I have a journal that's got the lines of the year, Ken's line of the year. Uh, and there, you know, he had, and he had great lines all year, but I usually picked out one that was just stood above the rest. This, this one from this story is line of the year. I forget the year. And, you know, we have a mutual colleague, Verisage colleague, Chris Marston, who runs Exemplar Law. And when Chris yep. hires a new employee, he gives them the firm of the future to read. And he says, this is kind of what our business model and our vision is built on. So he hires this new employee, a female employee. Within the first couple weeks or so, her dad in Florida, she was in Boston, uh, gets ill. And so she goes down to Florida and her dad's hospitalized. And I think he might have been in a coma and then he came out. So she was going to the hospital every day and sitting next to him. And she was explaining to him her new job. She was really excited. And she goes, oh, and I'm reading this book because their their business is kind of based on this book. And the dad was an engineer. So, you know, real smart guy. And he was kind of flipping through the book. He said, this is really interesting. Can I read this? And she said, sure. So, you know, he he read it over a couple days and she's visiting him and they're talking. And um, the next day she goes in to visit him and the bed's empty. And he's gone. He had passed in, in the early morning, I think it was. And this is all in an email that she had sent to Chris, and then he forwarded it to me. And on his nightstand next to the bed is the firm of the future turned upside down where he had left off. And I read this email, and just tears are streaming down my face. I mean, it was just unbelievable because it came from her, right? It's her father. She's writing, telling Chris the story. Um, and I, I'm just weeping and Ken walked into my office and I, I showed him the email. I said, Ken, look at this. And he sat there, he, he stood at my desk and read the email right in front of me. And without a blink, without, you know, he read the whole thing and he looked at me and he said, well, it doesn't take Quincy to figure out what killed him. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just, I think I coughed up a lung. I, I mean, this is. I mean, totally inappropriate thing to say, you know, in this situation. I mean, I didn't know the gal, but still, you know, Uh and and here he is with just this unbelievable biting line. And I was howling. Well, I told that to our mutual colleague, now late colleague, Paul O'Byrne. I landed in Heathrow. He picked me up. And 
I told him the story. Now, you know, Paul, Paul had a great sense of humor too. And he was an incredibly quick wit. Mm. Um, and he loved anything at my expense. So he loved Ken for, you know, because of that. And I'm, he's driving along. I'm telling him this story. And when I said that about, you know, it doesn't take Quincy to figure out what, what killed him. He laughed so hard. He literally, I mean, literally had to pull over and stop and, and just, you know, put the car in park. And he was just crying. And I've never, ever, ever seen Paul O'Byrne laugh so much in my life because he was British. He's very nondescript. I'm sure Paul Kennedy has seen him laugh really hard. I never had. And he kept right. apologizing. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, stop apologizing. I know it's a fantastic line. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> But that was the kind of that was the kind of qu unbelievably quick wit he had. You couldn't out. He, he just he he would just snap back with something right away, and you just had no time to think, and it just cut you down, and you just you were done. That was it. There was nothing you could say. Yeah, no, it's that is one of my all time favorite stories. And by the way, for those of you kids out there, because I know, you know, Ron, we have young people who listen to the show, believe it or not, who go and who the hell's Quincy? Quincy was a right. was a show in the in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s on on TV. And it was Jack Klugman, who uh, you may know from from reruns of The Odd Couple. Right. Playing Oscar Madison, but he pl he played Quincy Emmy, a medical examiner. So, and he would he was, that's that's the line. So, if you if you missed that part of the story, that's that's why it's so funny. Is that Quincy was a medical examiner? Corner, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I didn't think Paul O'Byrne was going to get the reference, but he knew who Quincy was, and um, he sure. just thought that, that was the funniest thing. But anyway, so Ken, thank you for uh, being a great brother and all you've done. I I feel like I owe any any talent i have um in communications forensics rhetoric um to you and i i will always remember the impact you've had on my life so just wanted to share that with uh with our audience ed and, and somewhat with you and now folks unfortunately we're up against our first break I'd like to remind you if you want to contact ed or myself you can send us an email to ask tsoe at verisage.com and now we want to hear from our sponsors Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise. And Ron, I just want to, you know, just a quick follow-up on your story on your brother. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. He came to a program that that I delivered and he loved every second of it. <laughs> Raved about it for years. Really? He did. I do remember when he, he <laughs> didn't he fly to Dallas and, and yeah, he flew to Dallas. He came it was a four day program. Yeah, no, he raved about it, how good yeah, it was yeah. and the content and the way you delivered it. Yeah. Yeah, no, well. Yep. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. God bless yeah. you, Ken. It, you know, uh, it, w- every book I wrote, he he really did help me with my books too. I mean, he would he would listen to the ideas over many dinners or lattes or whatever, and you know, I'd bounce ideas off of him, and he helped me try and frame it as best I could or use an example. And so, in every book, you know, you write acknowledgments, right? Which authors call do- doling out monopoly money because they don't really mean <laughs> anything, but you put them in there, right? And um, it was always a challenge for me to find something, you know, semi witty to say about Ken. And in Mind Over Matter, I wrote Ambrose Bierce once wrote in a book review, the covers of this book are too far apart. A reaction I know my brother would undoubtedly agree with. Nevertheless, he remains an indefatigable supporter of my work and the best brother I could have ever asked for. So it was always a challenge to find something witty to say. So he but he really liked that one about the covers of this book are too far apart. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. All right, Ron, let's uh let let's let's talk about Chicago. All right, good. Let's uh you set it up because I think uh, you got us into this gig and <laughs> I did get us into this gig. Yeah, this is part of the the a group that I've been a part of for a long long time, but is now known as the Strategic Leadership Association and they gave us this opportunity to speak for a day and a half to <clears throat> their members on a topic that you and I have been talking a ton about, which is subscription-based economy. And what it it got a chance, gave us a chance to do is really put together a lot of the material from several of the shows that we've talked about and many of the books that you and I have read on, on this topic. And I got to tell you, I, I it was it was fun. We, I joked when we first started delivering the the material that it's like it was like us doing a new album together, you know, like the aging rock band coming right. back together. And, it's back together. Yeah, yeah. We got we got we got one more one more in us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then that, 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 that was kind of a thread throughout the whole thing because one one of the slides we talked about was was the Columbia House subscription and Hotel California and all kinds of right the Hotel California business model you can model. check check out anytime you want but you can never leave exactly <laughs> exactly so I and, and what we wanted to do on this show and we're obviously we can't do all twelve hours of material that we shared with 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 this group but. We want to take you through a little bit of a lessons learned and and a, a, that we think will help those of you who are struggling with moving to subscription or even just thinking about it, not necessarily struggling, even just thinking about it, get some more insight. Um, and we do plan, by the way, because we've already gotten, I think, three or four emails from people wondering if we're going to do this again. And the answer is yes. This is <laughs> our joke is this is the Ed and Ron retirement fund. Like, you know, right. we'll be. We'll be doing material on this for years. And one of the first questions that I wanted to ask you, Ron, before we get started on doing the the lessons learned is something that Paul Dunn 
said to, I believe both of us, but two different ways at two different times, Paul Dunn was, was able to come and, and from Singapore and, and observe this and, and another great public speaker. And we were really pleased that he, he liked the material, but his suggestion was that we call this value pricing 2.0. Right. So that's what and, I, so I called it. That's what I told him. I thought it was. And uh-huh. he said, wow, you know, when Paul goes like, wow, or gets, you see a reaction from Paul facially or his eyes get bigger, then, you know, you've hit, you've hit something, you know, mm-hmm. you've, you've tapped some emotion and that really did strike him. Yeah. So what is your thoughts on that? Because I've, I've struggled with this because one of the questions that I've been often asked in presenting some of this material is does can can you do subscription and it not be value priced? And the answer is yes, you sure can. Sure, it's a just, mistake, but you can. <laughs> just like you can do traditional and and you know do value price. Um, yeah, because mm-hmm. I because I I think it's so much more global ed than just pricing. You know, because right. we always talk about you know strategy really dictates your pricing, and I think a lot of people that that talk about pricing, um, you know, they're touching one part of the elephant. Um, and it's, right. it's, it's much, much broader than that. And this, what appeals to me about this is it's not only a brand new business, it's not brand new, but I mean a new business model, but it's also a, a new macro economic trend. And, you know, one of the points I think that we make that resonated deeply with, with the group was one of the reasons for this is because of transaction costs, you know, mm-hmm. as Mike Munger points out in tomorrow 3.0, you know, that whole, um, the transaction costs of triangulation, you know, matching buyer with seller and agreeing on the terms and then the transfer of the product or the service and then the trust, you know, the honesty and the payment method and, uh, and then just the ratings and the brand and the reputation and all that. And that's what excites me about it. It's not, it's, it's a macro, this is a macro trend we're looking at. And it's really kind of sweeping, and and I, that's what excites me. So in some ways, yes, it is value price two zero. And when I and I've said that to other groups and other audiences, and it does resonate with them because then they're like, oh, geez, we're still trying to get our head around you know what you're talking about for the last twenty years, and now you're springing this on us. It's like yes, yeah. <laughs> And, and, and to that end, you, you had the ability to put this conference or this workshop, I should say, was, was uh, in conjunction with the Information Technology Alliance meeting that the, the Strategic Leadership Association piggybacked on. And it was great to have some, some overlap there. And because of that, I roped you into participating in a panel at ITA. And I just want you to talk a little bit about your experience on that panel, because the panel was about subscription economy too. but to that end of what you what you were saying earlier that hey there's there's people that still haven't gotten their mind wrapped around the things we were talking about previously we'll, we'll g- give us some insight on that panel yeah the panel and the panelists were good there were some you know um, panelists up there talking and they had made some moves towards this in their in their respective firms so they're kind of testing it out and trying it out and so that was really interesting to hear their their approach and how they're dealing with some of these issues but the audience questions, when those came up, they were all stuck in, you know, scope creep and, well, but how do you know profit per customer? And when you talk about subscription, you're not talking about profit per customer anymore. You're looking at annual recurring revenue and you're, you're looking at a different dashboard. And we've been saying 
you know, ever since we've done the show, Ed, that when you change a business model, two things change for sure, if, if not more, but two things certainly change. And that is your pricing strategy changes, but also your metrics change. You cannot apply the old metrics to this. And all of the questions we got seem to be around the old metrics. Well, what about this situation? What about, it's like, no, you don't understand. And I tried to make this point and I, and I think this point scares the heck out of people. It's like, look, I I hate to tell you this, but products and services and customers don't have costs. Organizations do. Right. So, So what matters is the portfolio, right? Making sure that the revenue exceeds the cost. And what's better is annual recurring revenue. You're actually creating an annuity with this thing. And that's the hard thing, I think, especially for accountants or finance people to wrap their head around because we're so used to selling services, services, one-off services, one break, fix services, you know, do an install, leave, you know, yeah, the technology world is better, I think, as subscription because you guys have the access level agreements that you can tack on and the support and, um, you know, accountants so much, you know, don't have that as much as say uh, the technology folks. But boy, I'll tell you, that mindset of we sell services and that's our bread and butter, that's got to change and that's going to be a tough one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we even made the point on several occasions that if you're trying to match up revenue and expenses, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. I mean, I hope we have right. time today to go through just in, in raw form the, the the new income statement. But one of the things the the subscription economy income statement is completely different because it's not trying to do that matching principle. It does in some respects, but what it's really trying to do is show users of those financials, investors, or whoever owners that this is your annual recurring revenue. This is kind of a leading indicator going forward. Um, and that's just a different, it's, it's a different mindset. It brings us back to the backwards bicycle, I guess. Yes, it, 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 that whole thing comes rushing back, actually. And Ron, we got about ninety seconds left before our break, and I, I just wanted to to, to set this up because I think this will be a good introduction into us coming back from the break and talking about the lessons learned from our perspective. We did entitle this; it wasn't entitled "Value Pricing 2.0." It was entitled "From Fire uh, Fighting from, or from I'm sorry, from Fighter Fight ah, from Fighting Fires to Fire Insurance." Right. Um, I, the metaphor that we're using is really based on a, a life story that I had, which I have two of my uncles who were firefighters. And firefighters are weird people, right? They run into burning buildings. Sure. <laughs> you, you know, one of the things that I look for as soon as I get into a room is where's the other where's exit? The exit? Yes. Right? You know, uh, they, no, not just the exit, the other exit, because I know everybody else is going to go out where they came in. Oh, and right, I'm going right. sure. to go the other way. The other way, right? yeah. And. But I, I, and what I saw was there was a metaphorical equivalent of this in technology where if there was an error message would come up on the screen, right? Uh, My customers were sometimes physically repulsed from it. Like they would slide their chair back. Sure. I was like, oh, let me see that. Right. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Let me, you know, let me, let me, let me see if I can solve that problem. And I think that all professionals have this metaphorical response to a problem that in repulses the normal person, right? That, yeah. oh my gosh, and they, they get physically upset about it and move away from it. And the professional who's who's got an interest in it moves toward it. And what this whole thing was about is, well, we're going to tell professionals that you're no longer going to do that. You're no go- no longer going to fight these metaphorical fires. What we want you to do is develop a business model around making sure that there are no fires at all, 
Right. And when we come back, I want to talk about the mindset, because I think that is one of the biggest challenges to this, is getting professionals to recognize that they're no longer sitting around waiting for the bell to go off. They have to truly be what's an overused phrase, but is really going to be important in this model, proactive about making sure that, that fires don't occur at all. Right. No, and I love that metaphor. And it's, it's a huge challenge. But we're up against our break. want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, a reminder again that the Patreon site is live. We do have had a couple of subscribers in the last couple of weeks, so thank you for that. Go out to patreon.com slash TSOE where you can get commercial-free access to the show, as well as at another level, bonus episodes, uh, which Ron and I record sometimes in, in between episodes, but sometimes just right after our regular episode. But right now, a word from our sponsor. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We are talking about our lessons learned from the program Ron and I did last week in Chicago on From Fighting Fires to Fire Insurance. And Ron, one of the things that we that, that I that I took away from this big lesson learned for me is how more accepting this audience was to this material, even though it's a business model change, than audiences were when we first started talking about value pricing to people. And of course, you had five years, ten years of experience about talking about VP before I did. But is that is that did that surprise you at all as well? Yes, I, I can't believe how this resonates with audiences because I think they see that annual recurring revenue and the idea of an annuity, you know, especially like a lifetime annuity. You had brought up some uh, formulas for uh, computing lifetime value, and I think that was really valuable. But yes, I, I, I see a, a lot less resistance. People can seem to wrap their head around this. And I'm not sure why, Ed, because in some respects, to me, this is scarier 
I mean, I'm still on the ledge about some of these concepts, which is a good thing because, I mean, let's face it, if an idea doesn't scare the hell out of you, it's probably not worth anything, right? Yeah. And there are elements of this that, yeah, scare the hell out of me because I'm sitting here trying to apply it to you know a top 100 firm and thinking, how would you do this? But I know it can be done. If Porsche can do it, <laughs> if Volvo and Cadillac and all these other companies are starting to do it, now, albeit in, in small tests, but I think it, this is what I mean by a macro trend. I, I think this is going to dominate how we, uh, you know, buy transportation in the future, at least for those who still want to drive, you know, if it's not autonomous cars. And yeah, I, I do find that this resonates uh, much more than value, a ton of resistance with value pricing, a ton. And maybe that's because, Ed, we were bashing the old model at the same time. Yeah, Whereas, we don't have time. We don't have time to bash the old model. We have so much material to talk right, about. Right, right. And, and now I think it, the, the old model's on its last legs intellectually and morally and ethically and all, all sorts of other ways economically. Um, the old model is, is intellectually bankrupt as far as I'm concerned. I think that war, I, I declare victory on, right. on the billable hour. It's dead. And, and as far as I'm concerned, so is the timesheet. Um, but this one, we don't have to bash anything. It's like you're taking them to a brand new place and there's no baggage from the past here. And maybe that's why it resonates more. I, 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 it's not clear to me yet why, why that is. I think also part of it is, is that we all have more e examples of subscription in our lives, right? And as, as you pointed out during the, the program, this is not a new model. It goes back to the 1500s and subscription right. map, map, map makers and, and broadsides and all, all kinds of stuff. So it, it, we have, and we, you know, we all pony up our 10 bucks or whatever for some Apple product every month and uh, unthink, do not think about it until our credit card is about to cancel, right? right? So there, I think I think that's part of it. But then you're right; it's becoming ubiquitous. What one of the one of the participants sent us a link to? You can subscribe to sponges now. <laughs> it's like I, I'm still reeling from socks and razors, and you know. But now sponges? Right. Are you kidding me? And and you know, just like everything else that's new, right? Whether it's a Hollywood idea with a movie, there'll be tons of imitators, and there'll be a bunch of shakeouts, and some. I mean, probably a lot of these subscription businesses won't survive. But it still has an impact, a lasting impact on the economy. Prime is, is a fantastic example of kind of a hybrid model, but there's a lot of others. And I, I just don't see this going away. I, I mean, I know we quote um, Teen, um, is it Zoe? I can't always forget. Yep, so. yep Teen so, Zoe. Yep. Uh, teen Zoe of Zora. And he says, you know, in five years, you won't buy anything, but subscribe to everything. Now, I don't believe that's true, but I do believe that you might have the option of subscribing to everything and yeah. businesses are going to, are going to be faced with that. And so whether you like it or not, you're going to be confronted with this model because your competitors will be adopting. And if you want to be out in the lead, I think it'd be really wise to start testing this model. Yeah. That's the Angenzer quote that, you know, you'll right. have the option of doing so. So sure. For sure. Yeah. Yep. Well, and you know, then we went through some some of the things that we have talked about on previous shows. We we talked a little bit about Mike Munger and transaction costs. So go listen to that show uh, where where he went in depth. That's from. Can you believe it? That was a year ago already. I, I, Ron, can't, I, I can't believe that. Wow. Right. 
amazing. And that was almost our, our, our beginning intro to this ourselves. And then shortly after that, I think we, we read Teen's book. And, and then also you came across The Automatic Customer by John Murillo. And we, we have dissected those nine models previously on the show. So you just go back to, to see some of those. But you know, th- then I think we, we started to get into some, some other interesting things. And I, to me, let's talk a little bit about the exercises, or not so much the exercises, but what surprised you about the outcomes from some of the exercises that we did? And, and, and I picked up on this head, and it was really funny because Paul, Paul Dunn did too. Um, and you know, anytime you're on the same page with Paul Dunn, that's a pretty good feeling. It's kind of like being on the same page with Thomas Sowell, right? You're like, wow. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, well, the, remind me, the first exercise was um, they had to, didn't they have to pick a product that you subscribe to? Yes. Um, yep. Yep. And, 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 they, and each group picked something, you know, a refrigerator, a roof, uh, a guitar, right? Just th- these various things. And I think what that taught me more than anything, it's like, and they came up with some great value propositions for those things. It wasn't just about, you know, having the product, having a roof or, or a refrigerator or whatever, but it was all the attendant things around it, surrounded it, that could also add value. And, and they got that. They, they, they had a list that was really impressive. And, but the underlying message that I thought and that Paul Dunn picked up on was they were probably sitting there going, if I can do this for a roof or a refrigerator, why can't I do it for my business? Mm-hmm. And that's really yep. powerful. So to, it's kind of like the, um, what's the Q force exercise? You know, you, you give them a, something that's completely outside, you know, like, a, uh, what is it? Torture can be justified, right? Right. As and, and they have, have to start questions, right? Yep. Yeah. And they have to start thinking in questions. And this was kind of the same thing. They had to start thinking about, they were thinking more like a consumer, you know, what do I want from a refrigerator? What do I want from a roof or a guitar? And when you put yourself in the, in the customer's shoes, which I don't think we, we spend a lot of time doing, you start to see things that maybe you don't as the business owner. So true. Yep. And I think that's, that was the, the, the insight and breakthrough that some of them had. Is that, is that what you got out of that, that first exercise? Is that mm-hmm. what you, the dynamic in the room that you saw yes. too? Yeah, they were that they were able to approach it from a customer perspective because they would themselves perhaps be customers of shoes or roofs or guitars or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. Somebody had one group had shoes, mm-hmm. and 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 you think about that, and and you know, I've talked I've, now I've talked about this with my dad and and his wife Janine. They were both, you know, he was a barber, she was a cosmetologist, and and they sat through the course too. As you know, they they drove up from South Carolina to Chicago to watch us because my dad's been hearing about this and he was dying to see the new album, right? <laughs> he, he wanted to hear the new album. Um, but he said, we could have easily done this in the salon. You know, we could have just had standing appointments practically. And, uh, you know, especially women with color services and, you know, perms or whatever and hair care products. You could have put the whole thing on a subscription and, and done, you know, saw them for special events. You know, hey, I'm going to a wedding. I want to look good, whatever. I'm going out you know, and you have capacity set aside for those special occasions and they just subscribe to you. And, and I think what resonates with people, and this I guess goes back to your other first question about why this resonates more. And, you know, it's my favorite line from this whole thing is you're not subscribing to a Porsche, you're subscribing to Porsche. 
and and I think that turns on a light bulb in people's heads that they go, yeah, would I rather be selling services or would I rather have customers subscribe to my firm? That's a huge difference. That is a huge difference. Yeah. And, and, and as you said, it resonates with people clearly. And so, you know, the mantra for value pricing, as you know, for years has been price the customer, price the customer, you know, pricing's moving to individualized. Price the customer, not the service. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yes. Thank you. Price the customer, not the service. And now it's price the portfolio. And that's different. And I'm still sorting through those differences, but it is different. There is no doubt it's different because back to your insurance um, analogy or metaphor with the fire insurance, you're looking at this across a portfolio of customers and most of your customers are on the rails, meaning that, you know, they're going to fall within a certain parameter of work to be done. And yeah, okay, you got to deal with the outliers and you got to figure that out. But, you know, back to don't let the dog, uh, you know, the the tail wag the dog. Um, Don't let that scare you from, from trying this model out where, where things are on the rails and Ed, nothing is more on the rails than professional firms. I know they think everything's different and everything's brand new. It's a new black hole, but I'm sorry. Most of it's on the rails and can be pretty predictable. And that's why the portfolio approach to pricing, I think, makes a lot more sense. No, absolutely. And it is a profound change. And what I love about presenting this stuff is, is being challenged by the audience and not having the answers that, that was, I think one of the things that was in retrospect, we were, we're getting a little stale because I don't know about you, but I had to, I, I had to practice my skills of withholding my tongue because I knew in the first five seconds of what point somebody was going to make. And you have to remind yourself, Oh, we got to let them make the point before you come in and eviscerate. What I just right. <laughs> right. 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 And, and, you so, know, and when you going back to cre- you know, creating an annuity with this, and when you, when you look at some of the stats that have come out of the work that, that Zora has done, you know, teen software company that, that, you know, lives and breathes this stuff and helps companies move to it. If a member retains membership and engagement for a year, you have a 90% chance of having a member for life. That's kind of astonishing, you know, especially when you, figure out how much it costs to acquire a new customer and you know, 11 times more than to keep one. Um, this, this takes care of that acquisition marketing that I know you've been talking about it for a long time that, you know, a good chunk of your marketing budget should be spent on acquisition because your, your, your current customers are, are, uh, you know, probably more valuable than chasing down new ones. Right. Well, one of the the biggest insights that this has given me, and I'm still unpacking this myself. And, you know, of course, we should have just listened to Drucker from the 40s, right? The two two functions of a business are marketing and innovation. Everything else is a cost. And the fact that if you really think about it, what professional firms, in fact, all firms, but professional firms themselves are more likely to outsource their marketing which should be a core function of their business, right? Right, and what they should outsource, and this is sounds I kind of crazy, but they should. If you're a bookkeeping firm, if you're a an accounting firm, you know what you should outsource your own damn accounting. Yes. <laughs> yep, your back office should be somebody else's front office. That's right, and you should outsource that and keep the marketing in the front office. Right. Right. 
because that's more important. So that's one of the the insights to this. But anyway, we Ron, we've got to take our last break here. Uh, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to ask TSOE. That's the best way at Verisage. I'm <laughs> did, did that terribly, Ron. I broke up the email address in the middle. That's like splitting the <laughs> infinitive. I broke the I broke the email address in the middle of giving. That's it. okay. Splitting all the time. At Verisage.com. The website is the soul of enterprise.com where you can see show notes and previews to upcoming shows, as well as a calendar of events where Ron and I are going to be. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. Ed and I are talking about lessons learned from fighting fires to fire insurance or the subscription business model workshop that we did in Chicago last week. And Ed, you brought up a great point about Drucker, you know, his marketing concept, right? The the only two things that matter are marketing and innovation. And, you know, most firms will outsource their marketing and yet keep all the bookkeeping and all the busy work that adds no value anywhere. But the other really important component to that is innovation. And that's something that you really can outsource very, very well. Uh, but one of the other lessons I took away came from our, our friend and colleague, Hector, uh, who attended the program. And he thought, I thought he made an absolutely profound comment when he was thinking about this whole, you know, wrapping his head around the pricing the portfolio rather than pricing the customer. And you think about all the ways that Amazon Prime has continued to add value to that membership without necessarily increasing the price. Yes, they've had some price increases, but you know, you can get streaming music and you can get their Amazon content and video and all, you know, magazines and I guess now audible, audible books. Right. Um, and he said, I'm not going to be looking at what I have been doing for my customers, you know, so much like figuring out what's on the rails. I'm going to spend more time thinking about what I haven't provided to my customers and what I could or should be providing. And I, 
I think that separation is really, really key in thinking about new ways to continuously delight your customers. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I thought that was a, a, an extraordinarily profound point, and and he and he made it really really well. It, you know, it was it, this this is a great example of you know the creative juices flowing in the session because he he said that he takes inspiration for some of his his work and pricing from Costco, mm-hmm. right? And I thought he made another really interesting point. He says one of the things that Costco does, if you really think about it, is they prevent you from even seeing prices until you become a member. Right. 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 Which I think is that that's kind of interesting to to at least in theory, right? You have to be a member before you even get in to see what their prices are. Sure. Um, and then and then I made a joke, sort of. I said, well, so what's 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 your you know nine pound jar of mayonnaise or whatever it was. Right. Right. right? <laughs> And, and, and I, I was joking, but it was also to get him to be thinking about stuff. And that's when he made the point about, yeah, stuff that I don't offer. And I right. thought that that was, it was really cool. It's just, I, I, I love that was so cool about the workshop, this, t- this time for creativity to come together and minds really working on stuff as opposed to what we've done for the last couple of years, which is really in a lot of cases, show up and do a brain dump on people and hope they pick, they get it as opposed to working with people on, on working through these ideas. And that's, what's so exciting to me about it. Right. Right. It's the new things that you can do and new ways to add value to your customers rather than just thinking about, Oh, how do I stop from being, you know, from quote unquote, losing money on giving them too much. No, why don't right. you figure out ways to do more for them? So funny. You bring up the, nine pound mayonnaise. I just remind, I think it was Jeff Allen, one of the comedians did this whole thing about buying maple syrup at Costco. He goes, <laughs> I got barrels of this stuff in my garage. If you're having pancakes this weekend, come to my house. I've got, <laughs> I've got the syrup for you. <laughs> he said, I'm going to fill my septic tank with it. Or it was hysterical. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. So what else, Ron? What did we have got? We got about five minutes or so left. What what, what was something else that you wanted to t- to mention from it? Well, you know, when you look at the new income statement, because we showed the new income statement, and and it, it kind of starts with annual recurring revenue, you know, from the prior period, and then you and then you back out the churn, right? The the customers mm-hmm. who have dropped off, and of course that becomes a really big key metric to watch. You know, you, you got to do everything you can to reduce churn, and that's why you have a customer success marketing group. Right, kind of a kind of a new model, uh, kind of like the customer experience group or whatever. But this is you want to make sure those customers remain engaged and have wins with your product or service, whatever it might be. Um, and then that gets you, you know, down to this net annual recurring revenue. And of course, you back out all your you know R and D, G and A costs, and all of that, and and you end up with some recurring profit. And then you take out sales and marketing because, of course, that becomes really important to track. Uh, cost of acquisition, but then you add a new annual recurring revenue. So all the new customers that you've signed up mm-hmm. and it's usually on some type of annual basis. And, and so the bottom line in this income statement, rather than just adding net income is ending annual recurring revenue or ARR. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is kind of, I'm not going to say it's a leading indicator because it's, it's still lagging, but it's, it's forward looking because mm-hmm. if you think about a traditional income statement, it doesn't say anything about new, you know, uh, future revenue. I mean, it might, you know, if you have deferred or something on the balance sheet, but by and large, you don't really glean that from the income statement. And here you do in this model. 
And I think that's really useful. So that was one thing. And of course, the matching principle goes out the window as well. It's, it's, you're not so concerned about matching costs to specific revenue. I mean, you still would if you were selling an inventory. Don't get me wrong, because you have tax compliance and all of that. But right. in terms of the business making decisions, you're, you're looking at this more holistically, which is why I think we spent some time talking about systems thinking as well in this workshop. Yeah, which is always a lot of fun for me. I love I love bringing out the 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 stuff about systems thinking. Such a fun fun thing to talk about. But I, I want to get back to the point on on the the new model. And I don't think we asked Teen so about this. I think it was just you and I when we did our show where we we talked about the subscription. His book subscribed, but he makes this profound point. Another thing that I'm still struggling with, and maybe it's because I'm not an accountant. Uh, it, but it, it is that he says in in the new model, cost of goods sold is future directed, right? And boy, man, that that just landed on me like a ton of bricks to to understand that cost of goods sold is 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 looking at the, into the future rather than trying to l- anticipate what the, what how, what was our cost of goods sold in the past, right? Right. And 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 what I think what he means by that Ed, is he's he's breaking out you know, sales and marketing, but you're not so much concerned about tying a specific cost to a specific dollar of revenue in, in the same period, you know, that matching cost kind of mm-hmm. flies out the window. And yeah, if you're an accountant, it's, uh, you kind of look at this new income statement and you go, oh, that's interesting. It's, it's different, but you know, it needs to be different. I mean, this format hasn't changed in <laughs> you know, since Pacholi figured it out 1494 <laughs> or whatever. <clears throat> yeah, no, some some really really good stuff there. But uh, well, j- just as we wrap up, Ron, two two minutes to go or so. Wh- what do you think we should do? What would we, we do different in future? Well, I, I, I definitely probably pull out some material. Um, you know, maybe I I think you, you know as, as our audience knows, you and I are content junkies, so we love content. We love delivering a lot of content. But I think in this case, sometimes less is more. Um, I think I would make this workshop a one day workshop as opposed to a day and a half, because I think, uh, having a night to sleep on it makes you analyze it deeper and more. And then you just kind of get lost in the weeds. And I think you can overanalyze this. I really do. It's like a putty. It's like putting on the golf course, right? You can overanalyze a putt and completely blow it. I think you just got to pull the trigger and start experimenting with it. And you know, the model makes sense. It makes sense from a customer standpoint, from the business standpoint. So I think I'd, I'd probably shorten it to a day. We had to do it again. Yeah, until we come up with more material, then we'll then. But we and we already did pull out material that we had planned that we never got to, which I think was for the best. I think the audience was appreciative of that. Well, all right. Well, this is really great stuff, Ron. I really appreciate you. uh, Let's taking the time to do this, and it's made us better. And I hope that you, our audience, has has learned some stuff from this as well. And please do let us know what you're thinking with regard to subscription and the subscription based economy and. Uh, we're, we're struggling with it. We want you to struggle right along with us. And uh, so, so thanks for that. But what do we got coming up next week, Ron? Well, Ed, we're going to talk about prices, profits, and fairness, that lovely word fairness. So uh, uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that because there's been some recent uh, reporting on pharma profits and other things. So we can have a, a neat little discussion about, uh, about profits and fairness. So All right. Well, let's do that in 167 hours.
This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out thesoulofenterprise.com for full show notes. Also, send Ed or myself an email to asktsoebearsage.com. Keep those iTunes reviews coming in. We love those. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.